Scott Roberts is a previous guest of this show. He's a retired lieutenant colonel, a former F-15E fighter pilot, and my father. Today, we have a short chat about his reaction to the brand new F-15E-X, the most capable fourth-generation fighter plane on the market. We talk about the controversy it has engendered, the new features it brings to the fight, and what the next decades look like for the fighter business. I hope you enjoyed today's quick take. Why is the F-15E-X variant the focus of so much controversy? Uh, it's a allocation of resources problem, and do you want to spend the money uh, that on fourth generation aircraft or on fifth generation stealth stealthy aircraft? And it's it's a good question, but that's the the core issue is where what are you going to buy? Newer the newer technology, the older. I would say existing, proven, readily available technology. That's uh, that's kind of the core of the question. What are some of the main character like characteristics of the EX model? Like, what does a flyaway cost of eighty million dollars get you? Um, well, it gets you a, a highly modified version of the F fifteen. Well, the F fifteen was originally fielded operationally in the seventies, so you know the basic airframe technology is quite dated. But what they've done with each of the models and lettering them A, A through E, they updated significantly the technology of the, the radar systems, missile systems, the defensive systems, engines got updated. And the EX has taken it all a step further, updated the entire guts of the airplane is new. Uh, engines, avionics, missile systems are uh, being upgraded along with all the, you know, as they do, all the missile systems get upgraded over time and it's compatible with the, the latest heat-seeking missiles and helmet-mounted queuing systems and all high-off-bore sight systems. All of that's been added into the system over time and the EX has all of that. Uh, it's also got a, a, an interesting mod to me that they added a new full fly-by-wire uh, uh, flight control system where it was an analog system, uh, old school kind of hydraulics and cables with some stabilizer technology, but it's now full, fully fly-by-wire computer uh, controlled system, which increased the stability of the aircraft significantly, and that allowed it to add more weapon stations. So it actually is uh, more potent than any of the previous F-15s. Um, as the technology goes, the, the radars, state-of-the-art. Uh, it's near peer with the fifth-gen aircraft. Uh, I think the F-22 and F-35 radars would still be better. The F-35 radar in particular has more um, diversity. It's, it's sensor fusion. It's able to use more elements of radar technology in its application. Because it's got a supercomputer it's, or something? It's got supercomputing capability. Um, but it integrates the systems better and can use the radar offensively against uh, other radar systems. I don't know that the new APG uh, 82V1 F15EX is carrying has all that capability. But it's a it's an excellent system to be sure. Yeah. So. But so what would I guess you know what I actually forgot to ask kind of at the beginning the top of this was. 
why even build an EX? Like, why is this even a question? Uh, what's wrong with F-15Cs right now? Uh, and what, what's yeah, that's probably a better place to start. The, um, yeah. the Air Force um, really didn't buy a lot of aircraft for many years because um, they were waiting for the fifth gen aircraft, F-22 and 35, to come along with the latest technology and deferred uh, fleet upgrades and replacements for really a couple of decades almost uh, since the new aircraft in new aircraft have really rolled off the line in, in particularly in the fighter side there's been uh, a little bit of update to the transport system with the c-17 but really the uh, uh, the fighters just just didn't get updated for a long time the f-22 was scheduled to be a 400 aircraft or almost 400 aircraft purchase they ended up with about 180 when the defense department terminated that buy and decided that weren't, they weren't really necessary in today's threats, uh, world threats. So what that did is it aged up the fleet dramatically because there wasn't the typical replacement every year that, that had been going on for many years before that. So the 15 Cs, uh, they originally built the 15A, that was the 70s aircraft, around the 80s they upgraded it to a C model. Uh, but even that, you know, a 40-ish year old aircraft has outflown its service life and they've been extending them and repairing them. There's a huge maintenance cost to keep them. So the question is, do you need them at all? Do you replace them with all brand new F-35s? Since F-22 is out of production, it's the only other game in town is F-35. And that's a possibility to, to replace an aging fleet that really is not maintainable. And if it is maintained, which they're doing, it's at great expense. And one of the calculations that was run is, is it cheaper to buy new F-15s or maintain the old ones? Well, the story coming out of the Department of Defense is it's cheaper to buy new ones over, over the, a forecast life cycle of the next, I, I presume, couple of decades. You would spend less buying new ones and advertising them out than you would maintain the old ones. But it still comes down to a question of do you replace the older 15s with the F-35 or something else? And there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's an argument both ways. And I, buy, I accept there's, there's give and take. But it makes sense to me to buy the F-15EX to replace older F-15s and run them in parallel to F-35 and use them together in depending on the threat scenario and where we're going in the world, um, the F-15 and the E model in particular uh, over the last couple of decades, it was fielded in the late 80s, so it's been around a little while, has been a real workhorse in the Iraq, Afghanistan, kind of the, the, um, the, th the conflicts that are, are not, are lower contested uh, lower level contested airspace. They just, they don't have to deal with highly sophisticated adversary air or weapon systems. They need, they need to basically um, attack uh, known targets against uh, uh, what was once the Iraqi forces and then the Afghan um, Taliban forces and to just function uh, on station for a long time, have a lot of weapons on board, a lot of capability to, to suppress, you know, basically smaller 
or I'd say lower level threat scenarios. The F-15E has been um, highly sought after. It's always on request to go to those theaters of operations. Basically, the theater operators love the F-15E capability. It's because it can just carry a massive payload. And yeah, and stay on station, uh, yeah. lots of fuel uh, yeah. available, um, and, and certainly the, everybody tanks up and refuels anyway, but uh, it gives uh, wartime commanders a lot in their tool chest to, to select from with a variety of weapons that the different air, uh, the aircraft can carry and so on. So it's it's been very effective over the last few decades in the conflicts we've had. The real question you have to look at is going forward, what is the next war going to bring? What do we need for the next war? And um, that's certainly the pitch for the F-35 is it's going to handle future threats better. And it probably will. I mean, I, I think it certainly will. Um, but the total purchase for F-35s is in, on the order of about 1,700. And that number is is actually going to morph and change in the current uh, the party line or the Defense Department's public position on that is we're not commenting any on the total purchase numbers because it's literally a couple of it, it could be 15 years or more before the, the, the current purchase uh, plans are met it, it could be longer and in the meantime we could replace the F-15 fleet with the EX, and it would replace the the C models predominantly. Uh, I, the existing E models would more than likely stay in the fleet. And so the well, and so the the C model is the, are the air to air. Yeah, the uh, air to air only dominance yeah. fighter. And so it, so e, the EX, I guess it's going to be multi role, right? Or or is right. it primarily kind of going to be used? Do you think to fill that air to air gap that the um, C's would would it, fill? The, current plan is for it to replace the oldest F-15s, which are the 15C dedicated air-to-air -air aircraft, and it would replace them with the multi-role, multi-mission aircraft. Uh, it would come with all the capability of all the air-to-ground weapons that the E-models, uh, the dual-role aircraft version of 15 currently has. And so it, it's an interesting take because it's got two seats. Um, and it's all, traditionally always been floating with a pilot and a weapon system officer. Uh, but the current plan is to fly the 15EX, which will still have two seats, as a single pilot aircraft. Multi-mission, but single pilot. And, and literally just fly with an empty back seat. That's the current plan. <laughs> They're not going to stick a computer or something back there? Or? <laughs> it, you know, it's uh, this particular version of the aircraft that we're calling the 15EX is um, has been ha, the, the technology has already been developed and and fielded for the Saudi Arabians and the Qatari Air Force have purchased these already and done a lot of this development work and right now that's what is on the assembly line being built are the two seat versions but the newer avionics and sophistication of the radar and all that it's going that it has with it for targeting systems uh, has basically reduced the workload enough that they think uh, the powers that be believe that it's it's going to be a single pilot aircraft and it's just not worth doing a complete redesign and testing to get rid of the seat. It's this actually easy. makes me wonder, you know, in, in your experience as an E model pilot, 
what was the division of labor? I don't know if I've ever asked you really what the division of labor was between the WISO, the weapon systems officer, and then you as the pilot. Like, I know you had final authority on most things, right? I mean, like when it came to firing a missile or yeah. dropping a bomb. What was that? What was, was those doing um, for you, and, and how did you split that? Work the out? division of duties uh, changed between the individuals, and then it kind of changed over time as well as different systems came in and just kind of philosophies of how to how to work in a two-seat cockpit. It evolved, so there's no exact answer to that. But the gist of it was, um, I would. I was typically more offensive-oriented, running the radar and looking forward on an air-to-air -air basis, and then in the air-to-ground portion, uh, certainly on, in the visual approaches, uh, I was key on that in terms of uh, finding the target visual and aligning the aircraft for, for visual uh, diving deliveries and such. But the the WISOs picked up um, a lot of the air-to-ground targeting, so using the, an air-to-ground radar, and we, ha we had to trade time on the radar. Uh, you couldn't do both, and it would take, oh, give or take 15 seconds of time, 10 to 15 seconds for the air-to-ground functions to provide the, the precision coordinates we needed. And then, the, while, and then while the radar map was up and kind of frozen, the WISO could select the, tar select the, the uh, uh, coordinates that would go into the system for either directing our, our lasers to that or load a GPS weapon with that information. And while he's doing that, the radar has flipped back to air-to-air -air mode and I can continue. So there, there was some downtime. The newest radar on the 15EX and, and pretty much all the new radars uh, can do these tasks simultaneously. There's no downtime. And, and, uh, and it's pretty seamless, and therefore it's easier for one person to manage these things. Uh, and, and there's one of the really key differences they're talking about with um, the newer jets is a, a large touchscreen display that ha can be segmented into delivering any imaginable information from engine instruments to radars to navigation to whatever it happens to be. And with that, there, there is uh, a lot more uh, options for one person to operate with the one screen that just has more information consolidated right. and usable in front of you. So there's, but there's a, um, the other thing that was really key for having a WISO was low level flying at night. Um, I mean, we used a, the lantern system, which is a terrain following radar system, and if you get low enough, it becomes very task-saturating, and the pilot, what, or a front seater like myself, we were fully focused on flying the, the terrain following system and avoiding the ground. It does have an autopilot system, which we did use, but you're still very focused on monitoring the, the systems. And you free up a person. When you've got an extra person uh, available, uh, we could that you put them to work, and they'd... They could continue to work the air to ground radar. The air to air radar would typically then go to the backseater. While if I was trying to dodge rocks at night or low level, it, it could, somebody else could pick up a lot of the radar uh, work, whatever was needed to be done, and, and continue functioning there, keep the aircraft functioning at a 
super highly capable level, uh, both defensively and offensively. You know, looking for threats defensively and and uh, targeting offensively with the offensive weapons. Right. So it, when you've got another person, you, you, there's always more to do. You know, um, you know, task saturation and limited situational awareness frankly overwhelm everybody eventually yeah and you just throw another person in and you can just get more done right now the question is do you you know how much can the computers do versus the person and that's that's kind of what's happened and why everything is single seat these days is right um, the idea is that it's just easier in the cockpit than it used to be sure and one of the pieces of technology that i saw in just sort of reading a some surface level articles about it, it was that it's equipped with something called Eagle Passive Active Warning and Survivability System. This uh, Eagle Passive Active Warning and Survivability System, EPAWS. Um, can you tell me anything about that? Yeah, so. What um, is that? You know, the, what, what I worked with before, th this system has been developed and is being fielded onto existing F 15Es. Uh, um, it's going on to the existing eagles and it'll it would be standard equipment on a on a new 15ex model rolling off the assembly line and what i had to work with i had onboard jamming equipment and radar receiver and they they integrated and they worked together but maybe not as well as they could have or should have and this new epos system is basically taking the receiver system, radar warning system, and, and in a smart way integrating it with the electronic jammer and your defensive systems. And uh, again, I I've, uh, only know what I'm reading in the in the unclassified world, but apparently it's it's dramatically improved the defensive capability of the F-15, which is a which is a huge piece of radar reflector. It's a big target. So everybody can see it coming. So having defensive systems that can jam and defeat um, uh, either acquisition radars or the missiles themselves, and it's, that's pretty nice to have. Yeah. And uh, one of the other features that I noticed was an IRST pod, or is it built in that's to the pod. aircraft? Yeah. What does, that, what does that get you? The infrared search and track system um, has been around for a lot of decades all the soviet era air, built aircraft russian aircraft anything built in, uh, really since the the fulcrum flanker so basically early 80s had this in addition to the radar they have an infrared system just like it sounds you can search the sky find a heat spot and then walk on and track it and uh, and it it's nice because in a uh, a radar environment that's highly active and jamming radar, you know, radar can be defeated, and it's very difficult to defeat this infrared system for searching and tracking. So it's nice. Uh, it's a clear air system where the radar can look through clouds, infrared cannot. It's going to be limited by, uh, by moisture in the air. And then uh, you can track it and, and follow its azimuth or angle. Uh, but it doesn't give you range. Uh, you can't tell how far away it is. Uh, and maybe you can get range off your radar, or maybe you have a laser system, you may have something else. But in order to 
get a, a good um, target lock to launch a missile, you, you need both azimuth and range, um, azimuth elevation range in order to do that. But it's a, it's a really nice uh, system to add on. And uh, for all the years that we uh, fought adversaries that had it, we, we, it was always something I thought would be an, that the Eagle should have. So right. it's nice that it finally got it. At least when we played DCS, right, mm -hmm. one of the strategies that you would employ flying a flanker or something along those lines, Russian aircraft, is you would sort of lock on with a, maybe a radar uh, homing missile and then uh, thread in a, an IRS, like one of the IRST guided... Um, infrared guided missiles. Infrared guided missiles. And, um, and so defending both, both kinds of threats was... Uh, it was kind of a sneaky move yeah. in DCS. And did, so did you guys kind of train differently against or sort of um, anticipate these kinds of little tactics or sn sneaky moves on behalf of uh, Russian adversaries or things, things like that? No, um, we really uh, trained a little, well, I would say differently. I mean, we had kind of a, a radar range. The radar missiles uh, tend to be longer range. And long-range acquisition with the radar systems is is easier than with the infrared systems, um, and then the infrared system, the AIM-9, tended to be a short range, more of a visual fight weapon. Although we could trade off the the uh, AIM-120 slash AMRAM had some pretty good capability in the visual arena as well. So when you got closer, you you know you, you had all your weapons available, and eventually you had the gun available, but. Um, Longer range, it just tended to be radar, and I, yeah. I think uh, um, that would be true with uh, the Russian aircraft as well. That even though you've got uh, missiles that have pretty long range that are heat seeking, they they still have a problem with the seeker locking on at long range. So they still need some mid course guidance if they're going to do that, and it's uh, it tends to be just long ranges radar and shorter ranges is uh, infrared and there's a gray zone in the middle. Right. And you mentioned earlier fly-by-wire as another kind of one of the EX um, features. Yeah. For those who may not know, like what, what does that mean and how is that better than kind of this hydraulic, you know, sort of cable-based system that you had when in well, the E-model? Um, so the first aircraft um, that was popular and, and uh, fielded pretty widely with a fly-by-wire system was the F-16. And the difference on a system uh, is you make a control input uh, and the, all you're doing is making a request to the computer. I want to go left, the computer thinks about it, it goes, okay, I'll go left and I need to move certain flight controls in order to make that happen. The, uh, the traditional system, the analog system, the F-15, you, you move a stick and it, it moves quite broadly around the cockpit, kind of slams from knee to knee and forward and back. And, and you're, make, you're literally moving cables, traditional old wire cables, and moving hydraulic valves to move different control surfaces. Um, very basic stuff. Now, it, it had this augmentation system that was like electronic control that, that smoothed out some of the uh, oscillations. But the major control inputs were, were analog, old school, move the 
move the cables, move the control systems. And a fly-by-wire system, you, they, they mimic the feel and the stick still feels similar, cause, but it's all artificial feel. And when you make a control input, really all you're doing is making a request to the flight control computer to, to make an input to go a direction, up, down, left, right, and and then all of the actual control surfaces in exact positions are computer controlled. So um, if you wanted to stall the aircraft and put it into a spin, it, almost certainly the computer would override you and, you and you could make the control input that would should do that, putting an aileron or rudder or whatever you think you want to do to put the jet out of control. Not that anybody wants to do that, but if you were... Uh, you could make mistakes, um, uh, intentionally or unintentionally, uh, previously, and now the computer just simply says no and doesn't do that. Mm. Interesting. So a fly-by-wire system does take that last bit of control away from the pilot, to, but provides some stability that uh, you might not otherwise have. Right. And you, you know, and so this variant of the f-15 can carry more weight as you were saying and you're saying because it's more stable what is the computer doing to your control surfaces to achieve that um like how does that work when you're flying it's like wiggling them really fast or something like well, that so uh, adapting to the air the, it it does that with an augmentation system right. but it it just knows flight parameters um, and it's basically preventing you from over controlling the aircraft in slower, less stable scenarios. As you get slower, everything gets less stable and you tend to put in larger control surface movements, ailerons deflect more, ele elevator dis deflects more. Um, so it, all of these things are happening in, in large scale when you're flying manually and slowly and the fly-by-wire system would still allow you to take the aircraft right to the edge of the performance envelope, but you can't go past it. You can't put it out of control because that control surface simply won't move anymore. Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll prevent it from deflecting an aileron uh, that would be an unstable input in a slow speed scenario typically. Right. Um, higher speed, we just you know, things are more stable. So you were telling me as well, uh, I think at a different time that uh, in the F-16 where the fly-by-wire was kind of first fielded, yeah. at first the joystick didn't move. Yeah, the very first models had a rigid stick that were just pressure sensitive. Um, it wasn't well received and eventually they added a little bit of movement. So an F-16 console does move, but nothing like an F-15 stick uh the, you know the 16 has a side stick controller um and it just doesn't move very much it sits on the panel on the on the right side and the f15 is between your knees this control stick and moves all around the cockpit you know it has a it has a huge throw range right so and that would interrupt sometimes like I, that, that would actually be kind of a problem sometimes right when you were trying to do certain maneuvers or like you'd have to kind of wait to do certain things to get the joystick out of the way. Wasn't that the case? Well, not, uh, I don't remember it quite that way. Yeah. I mean, your knees could get in the way. I mean, you're moving. Right. you got to sometimes get your leg out of the way right, in order right. to put in a full 
aileron deflection, uh, or the Wizzo sneak could get in the way. <laughs> you had to make sure everybody was well clear. <laughs> sure. So. Yeah. But it, that was a rare circumstance where you wanted that much control input. It, you had to, you had to move out of the way, but it could happen. Right. So in terms of like the weapon stations of the EX, um, how much more? How, how, how much more armament can you carry with an EX versus like a C or an E? Well, um, the, the air-to-air version, the C model, um, it doesn't have nearly as many weapon stations because the, an E model is equivalent to having conformal fuel tanks. That's an add-on. They, they literally bolt on to the side of the engine intakes. They carry 5,000 pounds of fuel each, adding 10,000 pounds to your internal fuel, but they're bolted on. They're not, nothing you can jettison. And they have six bomb racks per conformal fuel tank. So when we went from the 15C air-to-air -air model to the F-15E dual roll, air-to-ground, -air, air they added these conformal tanks, added these six additional bomb racks, kind of changed everything. It just added a whole bunch of weapons capability. Um, what we, in addition to that, we had the wing stations. Um, we had one wing pylon on each wing and then the center line pylon sitting on the belly between the engines. And you could, on those, uh, on the wing stations, we could hang a couple of missiles each plus um, weapons on those pylons. And they're, they're it, what they, but we always, we were, those were numbered from left to right on the aircraft when you're sitting at from stations two to eight. So we had stations two to eight, and then we always had on the books station one and nine, but there was never anything there. We couldn't actually use one. So further outboard on each wing, there was a place to put weapons, a, a place to bolt things on, but we could never put anything there because of stability problems. Uh, they were cons they limited our maneuverability at slow speeds and could easily create uh, you know, uh, unstable, basically, spin conditions is what I always presumed they were worried about. But with this fly-by-wire system, limiting your ability to put the aircraft in a dangerous situation because it kind of overrules you, uh, they added stations one and nine. And then where we used to put two missiles per station, they now have a rack system that allows for four missiles per station and still carry some uh, a bomb hung on on the pylon underneath. So it just gives you a lot more places to load things up. And then, um, and then largely because of the flight control system being more stable, the total weight of your weapons, bombs and missiles combined, has gone up by about 5,000 pounds. So that's you know, a significant increase in weapons load. Um, not that we really need it. You, you typically, we're going smaller with weapons, not bigger. The small diameter bomb is now 250 pounds. It's a really popular weapon to carry, where we used to carry a lot of 2,000 pounders. Um, you can get more done with more accurate, smaller weapons, less collateral damage. So that, uh, but you can carry a, and I don't remember the exact loadout of small diameter bombs, the GB39s that these carry, but um, 
you know, you're up to about 16 air-to-air missiles where we used to be eight. Uh, you know, when you load them all up. Um, it, anyway, there's a dramatic improvement in, in uh, weapons load. Right. So how do you see the F-15EX and the fifth generation, like the F-35, sort of working in conjunction in a, in a battle space? Sort of, is there, is there sort of an, in, what is the intended way for them to sort of work together? Well, I'm sure that'll evolve with time as tactics are always being modified and changed to the threat. But when you've got a, a, a weapon system like the F-35, which is highly capable, you know, uh, reduced radar signature and acquisition range, very powerful radar systems, excellent targeting systems. It, in a highly contested airspace, high threat environment, the F-35s are still going to be, uh, I think, out front and wor working to suppress uh, what airborne threats and surface threats, uh, more than likely ahead of the F-15 uh, taking care of uh, some of the higher threat problems that the F-15 might have some trouble with because it doesn't have because it's such a big radar reflector, and then the 15EX uh, would basically trundle in behind with all with heavy armament for uh, hitting as many air-to-ground targets basically as you want to hit. You can just keep you can bring in haul in the load. That would be, uh, in many ways, more efficient. You'd get more weapons on target with fewer sorties with the F-15EX as part of the, the package when you're flying with the F-35s. So I think they complement each other pretty well. You, nice. you know, the 35s can handle more threat and suppress it, while the F-15EX can carry a lot more load out of weapons. Right. So is there anything about the EX that is pretty groundbreaking that we haven't yet covered? Um, I think we've covered a lot. Basically, uh, the technology going into the EX has already been fielded in one way or another, someplace or another. It's just putting it all together in, an, in the latest version of the F-15 to field it as the most capable fourth gen air aircraft ever. It's still limited in capabilities compared to a fifth gen. So it's never going to replace a fifth gen requirement. It's not, I don't think that's the intent. I think it's clearly a supplement and it's options on the table and your wartime commanders love having options. Um, and as I would love to have both of them uh, working for me if I was running things. Right, right. And so it sounds to me like you come down very much in favor of the EX. Yeah, let me just pref the answer is yes, but the, the, the back of the uh, story is that, again, we've got an allocation of resources problem. How, what are you going to do? How, where are you going to spend your money? But uh, the way this, this came down, the way uh, Secretary of Defense... Um, Mattis made this decision. He actually was overriding the Secretary of the Air Force, who had, did not intend to buy any more fourth gen aircraft. But the funds were allocated, and the way it worked out is, we're, you know, the Air Force basically getting both, uh, without limiting 
are slowing down the production F-35s. They're able to add in the F-15EX as a supplement, all being, well, government finance is a little hard for me to understand at times because they don't, they don't think like the rest of us with finance. But basically, if you, if you can imagine, though, their plan is to fund the F-15s in the new ones in lieu of paying for maintenance for the old ones. And so it, the, the impact on the F-35 acquisition supposedly is minimal. Now, I, maybe that's just the way it's being presented. But the idea that you can get both is what makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. I, I think if you have to pick one, I think you have to pick the F-35. But because right. you can have fresh F-15s in the fight with the new F-35s, I think it's a win-win that way. Right. Well, hey, Dad, thanks for your quick take. Bet. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you might be listening to it if you're not already. Also, check out my site at nickrroberts.com and subscribe to the newsletter there, which comes out on a monthly basis. It covers technology, product development, aviation, history, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.